Oh no, my soft hands. Look at my beautiful blonde hair. Go find some gay dudes to hang out with. I'm just a mannequin to you. Welcome to the Palm Court. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. Let's go shopping! <laughs> I think that's getting more ghoulish. <laughs> Maybe Like so. every week. Yeah, well, I'm glad I don't have to do it. Yeah, me too. You're losing your voice. That's right. Slash have lost it. Yeah, I've lost it and barely regained it enough to do this <laughs> podcast. He's lost his voice. Sure is shooting. He's <laughs> lost it. Uh, yeah, so Tom lost his voice, everybody. Uh, so he may or may not be chiming in <laughs> with his usual pithy quips. Well, you know, if I've got anything worth it, bam, banter, ready to go. <laughs> or more likely that I think is worth it. We'll see how things turn out. So yeah, so this is the second episode for this week. Right. We should be all caught up now. Yeah. Sorry for all the confusion that has ensued. <laughs> PBS, we have not forgiven you right. for being stupid. We have not. I wonder if the they are cutting it differently, like they do with Downton. I don't think so. I don't think so either. I don't see. I don't see why they would bother. Well, I mean, I don't see why they bother with Downton either. But yeah, but they claim to have their reasons. Yeah, I mean, this show I don't think is popular enough. No, you're right. You know, <laughs> it wouldn't be worth the effort. <laughs> Boy, we're really making a great case for this show. Yeah. Well, you know, we think it's better. It's just not as popular. Yeah. At any rate, we can kick things off with a rather Russian Ellen love letter from customer Amanda. Hi, Tom and Kelly. When this season of Downton ended and you both began talking about your launching of the Palm Court cast, my mind went through a series of thoughts. One, can I really watch Jeremy Piven in a period drama? Two, Tom and Kelly have never led you astray. Remember Manor House? Three, but Piven? And finally, four, why are they laughing about this boy with a poking stick? I need to know. It wasn't long before I sat down and started to watch, waiting patiently for this stick-poking kid to arrive. I had expected this kid to make an appearance as some spoiled child in the store during series one, but the only boy in the store was Gordon, and all he had was that stupid car toy. (laughs) Fucking Gordon. I know. Then series two happened, and I finally saw the boy with a poking stick. It was better than I could have imagined. In short, that boy with the poking stick plus you two are like Pied Pipers, except you lead people to the Edwardian dramas and not, you know, children to their deaths. (laughs) Now that I'm caught up to the current season and your podcast, I had a couple of thoughts I wanted to share. Ghost Rose wanting Harry to build the housing estate. While most of this story arc feels like nothing more than an excuse to fabricate financial drama, pull Harry away from the store, and give Harry the opportunity to begin nailing it with the homely architect, (laughs) old eyeliner may be drawing a bit from actual history. In an effort to put a timeline to Series 3, February 1919, if they're going from Rose's actual death date in May 1918, I did a little wiki research on the real Selfridges. During World War I, the family rented Highcliffe Castle in Dorset and transformed it into a convalescent hospital after the United States joined the war. This hospital makes Downton's efforts look second rate. Based on a report from the Detroit Free Press from 1918, the Selfridges transformed the cricket pavilion into an office for the commandant and kitchen slash dining room for the men and built a series of huts for housing and recreation on the estate. When Rose died in May 1918, Harry continued working in the convalescent camp in her honor. It's a bit of a stretch, but Harry's need to build a housing estate for soldiers may be a remixed version of how Harry actually honored Rose. Princess Wizwaz and the Great Flying Sergei. <laughs> like Tom, I was curious about the claim that Princess Marie was distantly related to a founding father of Russia. I'm far from an expert, but I studied Russian history in college, so I ran a few searches on my favorite website for such things, www.alexanderpalace.org. 
My starting point was with Princess Wizwaz herself, who checked herself into the hotel as Princess Marie Vyazemsky, often spelled Vyaz... Well... Often spelled differently, <laughs> depending <laughs> right. on how you translate from Cyrillic. In April 1919, the British HMS Marlborough evacuated the Dowager Empress Marie Feodorovna, sister of Queen Alexandra, members of the imperial family, and others from Yalta. Among this group was a Prince Vyamesky. I feel Vyasemsky. I'm pronouncing this 17 different ways. It has yeah. nothing to do with how it is translated from Cyrillic. <laughs> I'm just really bad at pronouncing Russian names. I wouldn't be able to do much better. As I was saying, among this group was a Prince Vyasemsky, Admiral of, Admiral of Imperial Yachts, and his wife, Princess Margaret. Clearly, this is not our Princess Wizwaz and the Great Flying Sergei, but the name suggests some relation to this branch of Russian nobility. The nature of the relation was unclear from what I saw, and there appears to be some intrigue about Princess Wizwaz's title, but I didn't want to spoil myself for the show, so I switched gears in my research. The Wizwaz line appears to descend from the Rurik or Rurikid dynasty. Uh, dynasty, Ooh. which Princess Wizwaz tells Serge, Sergey, fuck. It's actually spelled it's Serge. It's spelled Serge, but it's pronounced Sergey. Yeah. The more you know. <laughs> We're not helping anyone. No. Uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. Which Princess Wizwaz tells Sergey, Sergey is the blood that runs <laughs> in their veins in what PBS calls the third episode. So that's actually episode four. Is that what we're doing right now? No, I think we're doing five. Okay. Wait. <laughs> let's deal with these intricacies at the right. end of this letter yeah. <laughs> the dynasty was founded by prince rurik in novogorod in approximately 852 ad he along with his brothers established what would later be known as the kievan rus it was a loosely bound ill-defined and heterogeneous conglomeration of lands and cities inhabited by tribes and groups with primarily territorial loyalties which resolved in the dynasty effectively dissolving into sub-dynasties in the 10th and 11th centuries. Although a nationalist movement in Ukraine in the mid-19th century would make a claim to the Rurikid legacy, the Grand Duchy of Moscow was seen as the sole heir to the Kievan Rus civilization from the 1330s to the 1850s. Thus, when Ivan III centralized the Muscovite state in the 15th century, he was continuing the Rurik dynasty. While Ivan III was the effective ruler of all Russia, the state was formalized under his grandson, Ivan the Terrible, in 1547 with the house of Rurikovich. The Rurik dynasty ended in 1598 and the state plunged into the time of troubles with a series of impostors and distant cousins claiming the throne as well as some periods of general anarchy. This came to an end in 1613 with the election of Mikhail I from the house of Romanov as Tsar. And all of that is a long way of saying that Princess Wizwaz may legitimately be part of a founding family of Russia, but that history is so convoluted that it is hard to say what, if any, claim she has to her title of princess. Well, that's it for me. Keep doing the fabulous things that you do. In the meantime, I'll keep hoping that we see stick-poking boy working in the warehouse sweeping floors and possibly poking people with broomsticks one day soon. <laughs> Sincerely, your loyal cousin and customer, Amanda. P.S. It still feels a bit odd to consider myself a customer in addition to being a cousin, but I suppose I will adjust and things are bound to be different now that it's after the war. <laughs> a. That's true. B. Customers that are also cousins get a family discount. That is also true. Which you can cash in at your family meeting, which is our <laughs> Peaky Blinders podcast that will be starting after Mr. Selfridge has finished airing. Synergy. Uh, listen, 
it's just a lot easier for me if I can cross promote everything <laughs> that I'm doing on one channel. <laughs> no, it's great. And I would also really like to thank customer Amanda for doing all that research that I half-heartedly failed to do in the previous episode, mm-hmm. even if I did find an unrelated but entertaining story. Yeah, we can give her an honorary like Tom Repeats History merit badge or yeah. whatever it is that you have that <laughs> well, you want to give to people. <laughs> so whatever it is, she's earned it. I have such a hard time with the word dynasty. Yeah. Uh, well, so much of what we do centers around people who are speaking in these British accents. Mm-hmm. And they would say dynasty. Right. And so that's kind of in my head. But I, being a red-blooded American, say dynasty. Uh, yes. Uh, and it's just, it's a lot, it's a real, wow. And then with the Wizwazes and the Rurikovichs <laughs> and yeah. you're, you're mixing the... idiomatic pronunciations of <laughs> English, uh, British English and then Russian. It's just, it's a lot to deal with. Yeah. So maybe we've been giving Princess Wizwaz too hard a time. Um, She's got a lot on her plate. <laughs> She's living in Britain, living with an American family. Yeah. Uh, she's bound to be traumatized. Yeah. It's like a 80s sitcom up in here. It really is. <laughs> I would love that. Watch the sparks fly when the princess moves in. <laughs> Tonight on Wizwaz and the Selfridges. <laughs> Who's nailing it now? Too many accents. <laughs> All right. So. Yes. We're going to dive into this recap. Uh, I'll be talking more than usual to try and save Tom's voice. It's appreciated. And we'll see what we see. <laughs> we start at Homely House where Harry is getting dressed after apparently a night of passion. Yeah. Not just a rough and tumble hour and a half. One wonders if his family wonders where he's been all night. Mm, good point. Yeah. He tells the homely architect that he's sorry to go, and all he can think about is when they will kiss again. And the homely architect suggests now, since they're both still there. Right. Uh, so they kiss, and Harry heads out. It's like, that kiss was fine, but I was really referring to more than that. Right? I'm like, <laughs> why would you care about that? Uh, he pulls up at Selfridges, where it seems to have just stopped raining. Everybody is carrying different colored umbrellas that all match their coats. Oh, yeah? It was like this weird like second that was like a fairly drab movie musical. It was just wow. Weird. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, a journalist is trying to ask him about Kitty, but Harry tells him there's no story and goes inside. The journalist then sees Kitty and Connie walking arm in arm. So we might finally be getting the uh, sister fallout mm-hmm. that we didn't have in the previous episode from right. Kitty's assault. In Harry's office, he tells the heads of departments that they need to replace the Leclerc's. He says that he'll be looking outside for a new head of display, but he'd like to find his next store deputy in that room. I forgot that Henri was like store deputy or whatever. Right. And I don't think he was doing that job. Uh, no, because I think, I mean, my vague impression has been just that Harry had just been like, uh, I need you around. We'll call you deputy. Yeah. And that'll mean whatever we feel like. Yeah. And that mostly just meant, you know, moping around in the lair. Right. And I mean, that's been great. Yeah. But I mean, store deputy, like if that's a position that's been in existence for a couple of years, everybody's falling down on the job here. <laughs> Mr. Grove says that the successful applicants would keep their current position, but then take on extra duties as well, which is a tricky bit of finance speak <laughs> for screw you. But actually, Mr. Crab says that they would get extra pay as well. So at least they're getting that. Right. But like, again, store deputy, definitely the kind of title where you're like, shouldn't that just be its own job? Yeah, sort of seems that way. Um... Harry dismisses everyone and then says, oh, one more thing. He just says that he's glad to have Kitty back. Everyone agrees. And then Harry dismisses everyone but holds Gordon back. 
Down on the shop floor, Kitty walks up to Bobbin, who says she's kept things going. Kitty says, Summer florals should be at the front of the perfume display, and these brushes should be in a fan, not a wigwam. <laughs> Kitty's awesome. Yeah, she is. And dumb Bobbin gives fake Doris a look, and it's like, Bobbin, you're really not earning your keep for somebody with such a distinctive nickname. Right. You've gone through two on this podcast. Yeah. Fake Doris is at least macking on Nunu Gordon. Right. And uh, Kitty has really been the MVP of this season so yeah, far. Yeah, and Bob, and all you've done is got a new haircut. Yeah. And now you're just like, you know, tossing brushes around. Right? Like, who do you think you are? Yeah. In Harry's office, Rose's horrifying portrait, which I swear devolves every <laughs> single week. And uh, they make sure it's as in, in as many shots as possible. I know. They could easily stage these differently so it's not in no, the No, I just feel like eyeliner swanned in, in a caftan <laughs> one day and was like, make sure that horrible painting we had commissioned is in every scene but, for symbolism. But sir, it melts under the lights every week. <laughs> <laughs> Good day. <laughs> Uh, but the portrait does soldier on <laughs> as Harry tells Nunu Gordon that while he should naturally expect to be named deputy, he should apply alongside everyone else to be fair. Is that fair? I think we may be getting at the root of Mr. Selfridge's entire psychological underpinnings here because he is a dumbass if he thinks that that is fair right? by any definition of the word. Yeah. Like, isn't it less fair to make people submit your application that you fully intend to ignore. I agree. And it's not like, you know, as Kitty pointed out, when she got Connie a job, everybody knows Mm -hmm. he is just, you know, tossing Gordon all of these assignments because he's going to inherit the store. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just seems like he ought to make that more of a formal announcement. Yeah. And just be like, like, listen, I'm training this guy up. He's going to be, you know, like the fact that he's going to inherit the store is a legitimate reason. uh, Only if he doesn't have to sell off more of his shares well right anyway all that aside not fair mr selfridge <laughs> yeah uh anyway it all doesn't matter because new new gordon doesn't want to apply he remembers how he botched the fashion event yeah or he let keebler botch it at least and he which says, is botching in itself yeah i mean just hiring keebler really that's on mr <laughs> selfridge true he says he still has things to learn harry says that learning never stops but new new gordon says maybe he can be store deputy in a few years time harry thanks him for letting him know and, like, I don't know. I'm of two minds here. Because, like, on the one hand, like, way to know your limitations, New New Gordon. Right. But also, quit being a fucking pussy all the time. <laughs> right. And th- those were clearly the thoughts in Harry's mind as well. Yeah. In this scene. <laughs> no, because he was clearly like, uh, all right, kind of disappointed in you. But- all right, son. Here's what we're going to do. Violet, dress and drag. Okay, I'd love to dress and drag. <laughs> Selfridge <laughs> Family Theater. <laughs> I'm just a mannequin to you. <laughs> Down on the fashion floor, Connie walks up to Miss Martle and asks who she thinks will apply for her store deputy. Uh, Martle says it's no time for gossip, but I do think some attention should be paid to the fact that Connie has found this out so quickly. Yeah, that's a good Presumably point. Presumably without even having time to talk with Kitty. Right. Like this just happened. Yeah. <laughs> Connie ignores Miss Martle, which seems like she's got a bright future ahead of her, uh, and asks if Miss Martle will apply for the job. Miss Martle is startled, but Connie says that she knows the place inside out and has been the head of two departments, uh, which nobody else has. Right. Miss Martle says that's completely different. Uh, Connie says, is it? And as there's no harm in asking, 
Miss Myrtle tells Connie that there are customers waiting and she struts off, but Miss Myrtle seems to like the idea, and Connie has suddenly become my favorite character. Yeah. Also, when I wrote that she struts off, like, it's no kidding. Like, oh, no. her hips, like, swivel a full 180 degrees on every stride. Connie she's... thinks, like, Connie is, like, Kitty Unleashed, basically. Like, yeah. I, it, she's clearly much younger than Kitty to me. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, I'd say a full eight years. That would make, yeah, because they don't feel like they, they like, grew up yeah, together exactly. Yeah, they feel exactly. like Kitty kind of helped to raise her. Yeah. But, I mean, it's the difference between Kitty being raised by whoever raised Kitty and Kitty saying, you have to go out there and take what you want from life and swing your hips as much <laughs> as you want. <laughs> It's lucky that we figured out that I do such a great kitty impersonation now that uh, the Towlers seem to be out of commission. Yeah. Like, they weren't even in this episode. Like, spoiler alert, they're not even in here. Yeah. I am a little um, perturbed. Agreed. Although I will say... I also like that you call them the Towlers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we all know who's in charge. Yes. Um... (laughs) Oh, yeah, because people call us the Schneiders. (laughs) Spoiler alert, they don't. They don't. <laughs> Nobody even knows who you are, unless they listen to this podcast. Even our traditionally-minded family, we've managed to pretty much break them up yeah. trying to call us the Schneiders. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. Not always successful, but uh, it certainly happens less and less. <laughs> it is always fun to get cards and see what the address yeah. is. Oh my God, it's always an adventure. <laughs> they don't know what to do. Anyway. If you're ever going to send us mail, just Kelly Anakin and Tom Schneider. Like, it's not hard. Yeah, it's our names. Yeah. Simple enough. The names we've always had. Yeah. So, the more you know. <laughs> right. In Mr. Grove's office, Miss Martle brings in her staff report and says that Connie's settling in well. God, can you imagine how fucking tedious, like, things like staff reports and all that kind of stuff must have been before yeah. computers? Yeah. Like... I, I mean, can't even imagine. Inventory. Like, and... No, and I mean, just, and he had to manually read them. Right. You know? So well, much of the, so much of like the sort of automated mathematical reporting that we do mm. can now obviously be handled by computers. Yeah. But I mean, back then, everything had to be gone over by a person. Yeah. And I mean, you remember in the last season when it was like all piled up. Yep. Yeah. And he had to uh, have a getting it done montage. He did. It was the getting it done montage that warmed our hearts to cranky, <laughs> to cranky old Mr. Grove once again. Yeah. Mrs. Plunkett brings in the deputy job description for Mr. Grove, and he says that he's going to apply. Miss Martle says that Connie said she should apply because she knows the store inside out. Mr. Grove says there's more to it than that. Strategy, finance, backbone, stamina. Miss Martle keeps agreeing. These all make sense. Right. And then his trump card, leader of men. <laughs> Specifically men. Right. Not women, despite the fact that Mr. Selfridge has always been very progressive mm-hmm. about hiring females. Yes, but Grove, I think Grove has always just thought he was kidding. Yeah, I think he's <laughs> like, like, oh, this is just a PR tactic. Right. Miss Martle points out that she's been the head of two departments, has managed staff. She's been in charge of stocks and sales. And Grove says, oh, well, that's a fraction of the deputy job. I'm like, I don't think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you've covered all of your bases. <laughs> yeah. And he says that no woman has ever held a senior management position in any store. And Miss Martle says, I have none of the female impediments of marriage and children. Boom. Yeah. 
Boom to the boom. <laughs> Who put the boom and the boom to boom to boom? It was Miss Martle. It was. It was right absolutely Miss Martle. Yeah. That, ah, this is like my dream. Yeah. This is this like just, my dream of revenge. Yeah. To constantly be in a position <laughs> with somebody who just completely fucked me over and remind that person that they're fucking me over is the reason that I will destroy them. Yeah. Like, Grove should just be like a pile of dust with smoke curling. I know, which point. really like, solves a problem for Doris <laughs> later on down the line. <laughs> Mr. Grove asks if Miss Martle is going to apply, and she says that she wasn't, but now she rather thinks she will. Mm-hmm. And she bounces and is the best. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we should, I mean, I'm still bummed about Florian. Yeah. But even if Florian had been around, she's past menopause, we know. Right. So it's so. not like being pregnant would have been an issue. And they could have just never gotten married. Yeah. Like, Martel gives zero fucks. Florian lost his whole family. Florian, yeah. Florian lost his whole family. Mr. Selfridge doesn't care. Yeah. In terms of, like, reputation or whatever, so. Well, and he's not in much of a position to speak to anybody, really. I don't know. Uh, okay, look. I mean, you can't really say that because he is a man. True. He has a family. He did have a wife. And I mean, at the time, it was just like, oh, you have this wife. You've given her a bunch of heirs because mm-hmm. she cares about that, I'm sure. No, you're right. And the, the so fact you're that now she's free. Is yeah, you're now free yeah. to go out and, do, you know, nobody. He didn't think Rose should be, you know. Well, right. Catting around with Roddy the Rat. Yeah. I mean, nobody should have been catting around with Roddy the Rat. <laughs> right. But the, but the, the, the double standard. Remains. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. I mean, and I think, you know, it's a slightly different scenario in that Miss Martle is not Harry Selfridge's wife. Right. And it's not going to be a scandal in any way with her in a, in yeah. a hypothetical Florian. Like. Anyway, but uh, I'm excited for her. Yes. In Harry's office, Miss Martle enters. And I noted here that when somebody knocks on Harry's door, he says yes and not come like Grove does. Ugh. And I hate it every time. I hate that ginger down the hall. <laughs> She says she'd like to apply for the deputy position. Harry considers that and says that she's turned fashion into a success and is well-liked among the staff. Martle is very pleasantly surprised to hear that, and it's very adorable. Yeah. Oh, you know, we don't really see... And I think this is part of what I like about the way Harry runs the store, is that praise isn't a huge part of it. Yeah. And I'm always very annoyed by places that are like, oh, you have to give positive feedback constantly. Like, you should give positive feedback. Right. But it's like your continued having of your job and continued advancement at this company, that's your actual reward. Right. I mean, you know, to coin a phrase, that's what the money is Mm -hmm. for. Well, and you know, and that's also why I get mad at people who like are sober and like brag about it on social media. Mm. I'm like, yeah, you're sober. Like that's your reward. Yeah. It's sobriety. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's unpopular, but I (laughs) felt the need to bring it up. (laughs) You clearly did. (laughs) Well, no, but I mean, just, you know, people, I don't know. This is my conservative parents talking Mm, through me. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's like people always act like they deserve a cookie for doing what's expected. Mm-hmm. Like you get a cookie for doing more than you're expected to do. Mm-hmm. I think Martel has done more right. and therefore is given this cookie. Yeah. No, I think that's true. Well, and I think, you know, it's just a matter of knowing when and where. I mean, everybody deserves somebody in their life that'll give them unwarranted cookies all the time. Oh yeah, you give them to me constantly. Exactly. Sometimes in the form of actual cookies. <laughs> that is true. And that's fine, but yeah. you know, in keep, your professional yeah, life. Yeah, keep your cookies out of your social media. And your professional life. Right. Agreed. Miss Martel says she wasn't sure if the job was suitable for a woman. That's just the Grove talking. <laughs> but Harry says that the world is changing and the job will go entirely on merit. Oh, yeah. Well, now that his original plan of just hire my son got ruined. Yeah. 
Miss Martle says that that is refreshing and thanks him. Somewhere out on the fashion floor, that journalist who was outside walks up to Connie, who's arranging some display necklaces. He asks if she knows Kitty, and she asks who he is, and he introduces himself as Joe Tooby from the Daily Sketch. Oh, so you work for Michael Gregson, then? <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Connie doesn't say. What she does say is that her sister married one of them who hangs about the house all day typing. <laughs> I really love Connie's just baseless hatred of things. Yeah. It's a trait that we share. She's just like, oh, fuck that guy. He doesn't have a real job. She's like, oh, self-tans. He's not good enough for my sister. <laughs> Complains about my singing. <laughs> Wouldn't hear my singing if you had a real job. <laughs> Tubi asks if she's referring... Really, his name is Tubi? Joe Tubi. I hope this is the only episode this guy is in, because I hate it. <laughs> oh, I hate him. Tubi, 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 where are you? We got some gals to slander. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> well, uh, yes. Anyway, Tubi asks if she's referring to Frank Edwards, and Connie realizes she's given away her secret identity <laughs> because she's not real smart. Not all the time. No. I mean, look... I like a lot of the cut of her jib, but she's real dumb. She is, a, yeah. Well, and like Kitty's not a genius or anything, but like Kitty, right? Kitty's Kitty has figured some... out how to downplay the parts of her that are stupid. Yeah, Kitty streetwise. Tubi says that feelings are running high, and the best thing Connie can do is get a picture of the real Kitty out there before people muddy the waters. He says that she'd be doing Kitty a favor and to trust him, and she clearly shouldn't. Yeah. She doesn't like Frank Edwards. Why would she like this clown? Fair enough. But I think, I mean, whether I or not... I understand the emotional appeal that he's right. making and why that would be effective. And whether but... or not you quite buy this scene... His entire skill set as a journalist is getting people to talk to him. Yeah. So you, you know, whether it quite gets sold or not, you assume that somebody would be able to do that because yeah. that's all they know how to do. At Grove House, the crabs are over for dinner, which is hilarious. <laughs> I want the crabs to come to our dinner. I, they're welcome anytime. We'll have crab <laughs> in their honor. It would be too because we don't even like crab. No, I know. Well, maybe they might be sick of crab by now. People yeah, do that all the time. That's true. <laughs> they all think they're very, very original. <laughs> Mr. Crab thinks that Mr. Grove is the best man for the job of deputy, and Mr. Grove wonders what Harry is really looking for and who else is applying. He asks if Crab will apply. Crab looks at Mrs. Crab and says, not at his age, and they are so cute, guys. They are. Uh, Mr. Crab wonders about Nunu Gordon. He says he's keen, he's able, and he's the chief's son. Uh, yeah, all, oh. well, two good reasons, one reason that makes me skeptical. <laughs> uh, Doris Classic walks in with her illegitimate baby and says that he won't go to sleep. Probably because it was conceived in sin. Oh, yeah. They're always troublemakers. I was born out of wedlock and I've been a terror ever since. <laughs> she hasn't slept in years. <laughs> Just had a spike. <laughs> I'll teach you to have premarital or extramarital sex, everyone. <laughs> she hands him to Mr. Grove, and Mrs. Crab calls the baby Daddy's Little Soldier, and the baby does a record scratch. <laughs> right. And the daddy's like, uh, I just had horrible experiences with soldiers. That's yeah. not such a neutral no, the, word. And the baby's like, number one, I'm a pacifist. <laughs> number two, I'm not his baby. <laughs> He's not my daddy. <laughs> Look at my beautiful blonde hair. 
Mr. Grove says it would be good to make more money now that they have another mouth to feed. And the baby does look appropriately horrified <laughs> to be in Mr. Grove's lap. No, he's very, and it's an angry baby. <laughs> Why Dora's classic doesn't look suspicious at all. Why do you ask? <laughs> Mr. Grove says that war teaches you to be glad to be home. Dora's classic goes for the baby's teether. Although Mr. Grove thinks the baby has a very healthy set of choppers, uh, which is gross. Yeah. Also, where's all their other kids? Yeah. Are they, they all had- working? <laughs> well, I've always put my children out to work at age seven. <laughs> Dora's classic walks into the baby's room and cries. Yeah. It is. Like, I mean, because the baby is like, how old at this point? Like, it's not a newborn. I was getting teeth. It's at least over a year. Yeah. I forget so- when baby get their teeth. Me is too. that like the second anniversary or the third <laughs> anniversary? Which one's paper? <laughs> Yeah, but like you'd think Dora's classic would have had more time to refine her, you know, not looking suspicious about this baby's origin. I don't know. I think maybe she thought that the baby would like somehow not remind her constantly of whose dad it was. Yeah. I don't know. I can just like... I think it's this thing where she was like, oh my God, what if he figures it out? Mm -hmm. Which I am a bit curious on the math here. Right. Agreed. I mean, well, and let's also, for the record, we have not officially been told by the show that this is not his baby. True. That is correct. Uh, despite the fact that we figured it out like three episodes ago. Yeah. I mean, Kelly in particular, but... I'm always on the lookout for an infidelity <laughs> subplot. Yeah. Um, but, so we don't officially know that that's the case. Right. But, I mean, I think, you know, she was like, oh my God, you know, just get through the initial difficulty of like telling him about the pregnancy carrying it to term having the baby yeah and if he didn't you know say anything up to that point i think past doris classic thought she would be like scot free right not even thinking about like the constant compounding guilt that she would have to live with every single day right well and maybe the actual baby daddy like only just figured it out or something and it started like harassing her and wasn't before you that's know? also true. that might be a recent yeah. development well, the war is over now, so yeah, who can yeah. say? At Selfridge House, Violette appears to be wearing a couch and not a stylish one. <laughs> it's awful. I don't know who is costuming her, but she looks terrible. Yeah. I mean, it literally looks like she just is like pulling bolts of cloth down from Joanne Fabrics. Yeah. And just draping them around herself. Yeah. Nunu Gordon asks if she's going out to see Fat Thomas and that Pa would have a fit if he knew. Violette wonders why Nunu Gordon doesn't just tell him and suggests that he's scared that she would tell him about fake Doris. Which, who cares? Right. Like, Have you looked at her? Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and again, the double standard's at play here. Well, absolutely, like, yes. Harry's going to be like, oh, yes, son, you know, get out there and find a compliant woman to walk all over. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Harry's never messed with anybody that was under him at the store, you know? Which yeah, I don't know if he would have true. an issue with that. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. Nunu Gordon claims that fake Doris is just a friend anyway. Violette is unconvinced. Nunu Gordon says she works at the store and Violette correctly <laughs> asks, so what? <laughs> right. Anyway, she doesn't care if Harry throws a fit because she can stand up for herself, implying that Nunu Gordon cannot correctly because he says she's out at all hours mixing with God knows who. He says she has a reputation to think of. And like, does she? She's like an American heiress living in England. Like, who (laughs) the fuck cares what she does? Yeah. She might as well be living in France. Yeah. She says that she would rather be shameful than spineless and leaves. Yeah. 
and uh, you know, presumably to liberate another window treatment <laughs> to appropriate into clothing for herself. I think I'll use this one as a poncho. <laughs> Jazz! <laughs> Fat Thomas is making the rounds and Haircut is announcing that the bar is closing. Everybody rushes the bar and the music stops. Right. As Violet bitchily demands just one glass of champagne. Haircut says it's not just one glass and it's not just her. Also, they really could have planned this better. They really... This is why there is the concept of last call. Yeah. We should have looked in to see when last call was invented. <laughs> True. But, I, but mean, I would think... like Just, it seems, just intuitively. Yeah. I would think that just would have... As soon as closing times were invented, you would yeah. think. Fat Thomas tells everybody there's no alcohol after 930. That's the law. And Perkis is there looking on. Uh ready to strike or something. Sure. George runs up to Duke, the band leader, to tell him to start playing again, which, yeah, doy, why did they stop in the first place? (laughs) Yeah. And some people actually do go back to dancing, (laughs) although there is one lady that Tom pointed out to me who is, like, super skeptical. She's just, like, standing kind of behind where Fat Thomas is, and, like, her date's, like, trying to get her to go back on the floor, and she's like, fucking, really? You know there's a gin joint down the street that's still serving. Let's go there. Right. Violette asks Fat Thomas to dance as Perkis leaves and Haircut looks on. And she's only had like five lines this season, but she's crushing it. Yeah. So we're really hoping that she actually gets something to do. Yeah. Because all she's doing is looking skeptically at Fat Thomas. How did she get hooked up with Fat Thomas in any respect? Yeah. You know, where is she from? What's she doing? What's, you know, what is she looking for? Mm -hmm. What, you know, yeah. Like we're, we're ready for more Haircut. Yeah. More haircut. Mm-hmm. More eyeliner. <laughs> At Selfridges, Blankensop breathlessly reads Selfridges Attack, the inside story from the Daily Sketch to Miss Martle. I love what a fucking gossip hound Miss Blankensop yeah, is. Yeah, me too. I, I love the ways that they fleshed out her character because when Plunkett was introduced, there was not really any clear delineation between the two of them. Right, right. You know, they both were functionaries. And right. now we're getting to see more of Miss Blankensop and why she's so good at information bureauing. Mm-hmm. Connie overhears and rushes up as Blankensop reads about Miss Selfridge's Miss Hoity Toity. Oh my God. First of all, that is Mrs. Hoity Toity to you, sir. Second of all, fuck you, Tubi. You sound <laughs> like Gumby's unpopular friend. <laughs> Oh, it's just Tubi. And his stupid horse, Porky. (laughs) Miss Martle says it is a tawdry article, and Miss Blankensop says it's awful, but is clearly loving it, and is not doing a great job of acting like she is not enjoying this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Connie is devastated, and we panned a crab reading it to Plunkett, describing Mr. Selfridge, notorious for his liberal views, has always promoted those females who demand to work alongside men. Plunkett reads, they strut the shop floor, preferring a wage over wifely duties. And then we pan to fake Doris reading to Bobbin. Had she not been working late into the night, Mrs. Edwards might have avoided her assault. Bobbin says that's not fair as Kitty walks up and asks what's going on. And fake Doris reluctantly shows her the paper. Yeah. Connie tries to defend herself as she and Kitty walk to a side corner, explaining that Tubi said it would help. Kitty says she just wanted to come back to work, and it's like they have their hands on her all over again and walks off past a very disapproving customer. <laughs> yeah. The personal's not political yet, ladies. <laughs> And Connie tries to gather herself. And it is like, again, uh, Amy Beth, who has a last name, but I've gotten halfway there. Yeah, no, you're worried. Was it, 
Was it Davis by any chance? Nah. 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 All right. Davidson, maybe? Maybe. We suck at we this. We said we would study. We didn't study, guys. Oh, I'm We're sorry, sorry. everybody. Uh, especially to Amy Beth because <laughs> she's so great. Yeah. No, but I mean, she's just selling this because she is upset with Connie. Yeah. Just for doing it, but she's more upset because it's brought back right. all of these memories that she's trying to suppress. Right, right. And, you know, and, you know, with Bobbin's reaction about how it's not fair mm-hmm. and all this sort of Which thing. Which is great. I mean, this show does such a great job of having a really wide range of female characters who don't always agree with each other. But yeah, in a lot of ways, you'd have to think if you're a woman who works at Selfridges, you're probably, you know, sympathetic to women getting the vote and having rights. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's really interesting. You know, there's there's been, I don't think any woman on the show who's been like oh she deserved what happened to her right no i mean the you know in terms of range of opinion the, the mainly just blankensop being basically amused and not you know caring too personally yeah is about the most like the that's about the least sympathetic and that's, yeah, that's not true no and that's she just likes a good tawdry article right exactly it doesn't really make a difference that she kind of knows the person yeah. it did make me wonder wasn't the daily sketch focused on a female audience it was yes which is interesting that they would go with this editorial slant to me but i mean i don't know what their editorial directive was because i mean just because we just had this conversation about all the women of selfridges having this attitude right yeah it wouldn't have been the prevailing one at the time particularly not in the post-war era because anytime you get into the post-war there is that reactionary women belong in the home yeah and if you're a woman who's doing that then you're really really invested in that being okay right yeah and you know resentful of those women who are you know taking these opportunities Mm -hmm. who feel that you shouldn't have yeah at the information bureau blankensop gives somebody some information as ma arrives blankensop then pulls down a folder and she says she left no stone unturned and points to an estimate of the princess's outstanding debt which is apparently substantial ma says she knew it as did everybody literally everybody and thanks blankensop sure Uh, so could this be the end of Wizwaz? Yeah. Also, is there a fee for the information at the Information Bureau? I don't know. I mean, information wants to be free. <laughs> well, that's true. But it seems like if you could charge for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would be curious. But again, it's very hard for me to get super invested in looking up the historical significance of this stuff until the entire series right, is done. Right, I know. Yeah. Because we don't want to, like, spoil ourselves on stuff. Right. Because I really don't have any idea what happens or when Mr. Selfridge died or anything. Yeah, agreed. So which is it very is... rare. Usually I know stuff. <laughs> right. In Harry's office, Kitty apologizes, but Harry says not to and that the article was a gross intrusion. He says that he knows how the press can be. And she says the article implies she deserved to be attacked. And you can see in her face that she is not sure that she didn't deserve to be attacked, which is terrible. Right, right. But Harry says, by way of saying that, you know, that's not the case, that he's going to write a letter to tell the papers and all of its readers what an example she has been. And then at Selfridges, they always reward hard work. Kitty thanks him and leaves, but does not look super placated. Right. Nunu Gordon tells fake Doris and Bobbin that the best thing he can do is just ignore the article and not gossip. Bobbin walks off, presumably to gossip. <laughs> and fake Doris asks if Harry said anything about the deputy job. Nunu Gordon says he won't apply. He doesn't have enough experience. Fake Doris says that he has loads and will be running the store one day. And if it was her, but Nunu Gordon cuts her off and says it doesn't matter. Loud enough for Kitty and Bobbin to hear, which is bad form 
Nunu Gordon. Like, I'm sorry you're fighting with Violetta or whatever, but don't take it out on dumb fake Doris. Yeah. Also not a good sign of your qualifications to be deputy. Also frankly. true. At Lizard House, Edgerton walks in uh, for some reason. Oh, right. Why is he still hanging out? <laughs> I know. Go find some gay dudes to hang out with. <laughs> And he comes in and tells Loxley he has some replies from former members of the procurement committee. Some didn't respond, some angrily declined, but more than he expected will come. He mentions that Harry wrote to the papers, and Loxley says all this because some silly shop girl got roughed up, which uh, I guess we know which side Loxley's lizard is buttered on. <laughs> Edgerton asks what he's up to, and Loxley says, enhancing my reputation. He really is like the Professor Snape of this whole situation. <laughs> he is. And he tells Edgerton not to be late to the meeting. Edgerton gets the hint and leaves. <laughs> Princess Wizwaz opens the door to her hotel room to see Ma and invites her in. She again says the decorations are taking longer than planned at her flat. Ma says that she doesn't have a flat. The princess says she had no choice. Ma believes her and then shows her the creditors and debts, which I hope that she made a copy of that I list. Know. Because it's going to be a whole you know, situation like when Mr. Burns had that trillion dollar bill <laughs> and he let uh, Fidel Castro see it. And now what? Yeah. In Grove's office, Miss Martle hands in a request for an afternoon off. He says it's short notice, but Miss Martle says it's their quietest day and she's instructed her staff. So it's less than a request and more of a, hi, I'm taking the afternoon off. Right, right. Mr. Grove says, all right. And as she walks out, he says that the store deputy can't expect much time off. And Miss Martle says, yes, <laughs> in a way that is too awesome to describe. Right. Again, this would make a great gif. <laughs> yeah. But she's just like, yeah, like... Zero fucks are given by Miss Martle henceforth. Like, she right. does not care. Yeah. It was just like, I already knew that. You think you just scored a point, and you didn't. Goodbye. Like, yeah. I just, uh, you just she's have amazing. to watch No, this. she yeah. doesn't even care about letting him know. Right, exactly. Because she knows that he does not understand anything. Mm -hmm. Look, a man who will bathe with you in a creepy way <laughs> is not worth your time. <laughs> Cue to somebody listening to this podcast in a bath with a point. Like, oh, no. <laughs> Listen, ladies, one bath is one bath too many. <laughs> Get rid of that dude. In her hotel, the Princess Wizwaz describes her quote-unquote sad story, <laughs> saying they were lucky to escape with their lives, and I just don't think she's Russian still. <laughs> I just right. never trust Zoe Wanamaker for some reason. <laughs> well, that's fair. And also, oh, you're lucky to escape with your lives then, eh? So you're willing to, you know, enjoy the smaller things in life? You don't need these luxuries anymore because you're lucky to be alive, right? Yeah. Or maybe conversely, if they're lucky to be alive, she's like, fuck it. I don't care if I die in debt. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point, too. Uh, the princess claims she'll pay back all of her debts. <laughs> Listen, uh, I know people and am related to people who've used short term like loans. Like this is insane. Nobody ever intends to pay that back. Yeah. Uh, she says that she left her jewels behind in Russia where only her maid Olga knows how to find them. And Olga's definitely going to be bringing them to her. Like, what? That's your plan? No, and, like, Ma is not at all plussed by this. <laughs> right. Like, she is like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I'd trust Fraser to bring my jewels back. <laughs> yep, it's all counting on Olga. You'd be better off investing in scratch-off tickets I know. at this point. Those occasionally pay <laughs> off. 
Do you think they had scratch off tickets at this point? <laughs> seems unlikely. Yeah. Seems like they some advanced technology. Yeah. Still well, we to know that they have just regular ass gambling. So. Yeah. True. I also like the idea of cutting to Olga just like in a gold bathtub in <laughs> Russia. Like. Dasvidaniya Wizwas. <laughs> Uh, no, also, rather than scratch tickets or, like, slot machines, I just like the idea that you, like, have to, like, point at something and see if there's, like, a cherry or a lemon in it. <laughs> and that's where all that came from. They're like, I got three bowls. They're all upside down. You guess what's in them. <laughs> a gold bar. Well, that's egg on my face. <laughs> Not sure why I put that there in the first place. <laughs> So Ma asks how Rosalie came into the picture, and Princess Wizwaz says Sergei fell in love with her. Do not believe. <laughs> Ma asks, with her or with her money? But the princess says she wouldn't let Sergei go into a loveless marriage, except that seems to have happened anyway. Yeah. Well, okay, but here's what I'll say. It is entirely possible. I think these are two people, Sergei and Wizwaz, mm-hmm. who are like trapped deep into many layers of denial. All right. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if they did go through a traumatic experience in Russia, which, again, I don't believe. Well, yeah. But, I mean, look. They're clearly crazy enough to believe their own publicity, whatever, to, to whatever right. extent that means anything. And Sergey was, like, sincerely fooled by Loxley. Like, he really thought Loxley was going to invest in him, yeah. for example, of denial. Yeah. And, I mean, so it's unclear whether he's in love with Rosalie or not, mm-hmm. or whether he just wanted to like bone a virgin. Like nobody <laughs> can tell what his motivation was. Yeah. The princess says that it's hard to let her children go or it's hard, you know, to let children go. And Ma says, your experiences are not universal. <laughs> uh, Ma says that when Harry married Rose, she felt she'd gained a daughter and the Princess Wizwa says, and they looked after you, which Ma thinks is a fair point, uh, except Ma never lied to them. Yeah. I mean, except for currently, right now. Well, yeah. But I mean, even so, she didn't fundamentally misrepresent herself yeah. going into that marriage. So the princess asks Ma what Ma will do. Ma says she needs to think for some reason. Right. I mean, it's not like she even actually learned anything in this conversation. No. All she did was open herself up to emotional manipulation by an obvious con artist. Yeah. Well, before I do anything, I better have a long talk with this con artist. Then I'll see things straight. (laughs) That could basically just be the tagline for Mr. Selfridge. (laughs) In the palm court, the homely architect greets Harry and discusses the article, and he says he sent a letter to all the papers and is happy to see her. A prim man with a prim mustache and prim spectacles walks in. I mean, he looks more Russian <laughs> yeah. than Wizwaz and Sergei do. Yeah, he's got the the, the circular frames yes. on his glasses. Yes. And- uh, the homely architect introduces him as Mr. Gerard the architect harry asks if they work together and gerard says not on this scale he shows harry some plans the homely architect says that he's very meticulous harry then asks if he can see a model since he can't understand all these blueprints apparently like why are you even having this meeting yeah and the homely architect awkwardly says that would be wonderful and gerard says of course but what he really means is i don't like you right what he really means is fucking clients yeah every time Can we see a model? It'll really help us visualize it. Read a blueprint. At Lizard House, Loxley descends the stairs, as one does when descending (laughs) is on the menu. (laughs) 
and pauses to wonder if perhaps he has too many paintings. If you've seen the episode, we need no further explanation. Yeah. He decides, no, it's just the right. <laughs> yes, he does. Edgerton ushers gentlemen to a table. Loxley walks to the head and says, as you know, my family has been evil for generations. <laughs> No, actually what he says uh, is that he's grateful to them. Uh, he knows why many felt unable to attend, although there's only like four empty chairs. Yeah. So I don't know if that's an issue of scaling to the table. Right. Or did he have another more evil, longer table <laughs> they would have sat at if more people had come? We would have been, we would have been meeting in the dungeon otherwise, but... <laughs> this will have to do. <laughs> he says he wants to apologize to them and to the soldiers he let down by putting profits over their well-being. Their lives, one guy correctly corrects him. Yes. Loxley says he's a changed man. The war has changed them all. The old traditions and values are gone. And what did they fight for? Their grand houses are rented to foreigners. Their servants demand exorbitant wages and have lost all sense of place. Yeah. And he's got two servants in the room as he's saying this. And they both, like, look at each other yeah. at that line. Like, you know, I've been thinking about factory work. <laughs> I don't have to put up with this, bollocks. I guess those communists are right after all. <laughs> So we're burning the house down tomorrow, eh? <laughs> oh, it's my day off. <laughs> Burn the house down every day is your day off. <laughs> Especially if we steal the silver first. <laughs> he continues that former soldiers are falling into poverty and crime. Women want to vote and work. They're forsaking their places in the home. So he is starting the Loxley Charitable Foundation for former servicemen. He wants to bring them out of the shadows and into the light. And everybody applauds except the cranky guy and Edgerton, who again, Edgerton, you can walk away. You can. All he does this whole season, and really last season too, is just stand next to Loxley and look at him like admiring how evil he is. Or just marveling at his evilness. Yeah. And that's it. Nothing else happens. Do we need that guy? I don't think we do. I don't think Personally, so. I don't. Yeah. Although I really like that guy's face. No, I know. Like, he's pleasant enough, but his character just serves no purpose. In Harry's office, Kitty's looking at an envelope, but she doesn't recognize the handwriting. Harry says that the letter was unpleasant, so they're not going to show it to her. Right. Uh, God, what a time when you didn't have to look at your YouTube commenters, vitriol. Yeah. And they'll pass it on to the police. Kitty says it's because of that article. Mr. Grove says the sort of coward who writes a letter never reveals themselves in person. And Harry says store security will make sure she's safe. Harry ushers her out and then tells Grove to call Johnson. Mr. Grove says that there have been other letters. Harry looks at one that Kitty that says Kitty will have to watch her back. Why was this not brought to his attention before they brought Kitty in? Like, yeah, regardless. Agreed. Mr. Grove asks if Kitty should stay at home. And Harry says, how long? For the rest of her life? Yeah. He says she's done nothing wrong and to remember that. But Mr. Grove says, well, she is a woman, so... I mean, that seems wrong, doesn't it? There's not even it? any ginger solidarity here whatsoever. No, no, there's not. Fake Doris is doing some store business in some storeroom, and Nunu Gordon comes in and apologizes for being rude earlier. He says she was just asking because she cared, and he's jolly grateful. Fake Doris tries to leave, but he steps in front of her and kisses her, and uh, that works, of course, because on this show, it always works. Right. He says that he's wanted to kiss her for ages, and she says he can do it again, and he does. Uh, Nunu Gordon, it should be noted, possibly the worst kisser ever captured on film. Yeah, like it's startling. He's stiff as a board and just like isn't moving his mouth. Right. It is horrible. Yeah, it's really bad. 
Like you can feel it, you know, emanating from the screen. Yeah, like, and the actress playing fake Doris just being like, again. <laughs> 23 takes, and this was the best one. Miss Myrtle knocks on a door, and Doris Classic answers. Miss Myrtle says she has a peace offering, and Doris Classic lets her in. Shane Baby's in his crib, throws a book out, and is incongruously cheerful. <laughs> he is. Doris Classic opens the peace offering, and it's cookies. She thanks Miss Myrtle. Miss Myrtle says that she's upset Doris Classic, and Doris Classic says she was rude and apologizes. Myrtle comments that Shane Baby has grown and asks <laughs> if he'll take after Doris Classic or Mr. Grove. Uh, and Doris Classic starts crying. So clearly, yeah. Miss Martle, thicker than we could have possibly imagined. We really are startled that this is... We're martled. <laughs> we are. You got martled. <laughs> uh, Doris Classic asks her to promise not to breathe a word to Mr. Grove. Doris Classic says that the man in the store was her childhood sweetheart. And she ran into him when he was home on leave. And Mr. Grove had been away for months. All she wanted was comfort. And Miss Martle says lots of things happened during the war. Uh, but Doris Classic says, no, you dumb bitch. <laughs> right. What I'm trying to say is that Shane Baby is Billy's, not Roger's. I don't, I don't follow. <laughs> but, how, could, how could a baby not be your husband's? Yes, not married to Billy. <laughs> I know that much. <laughs> when you just did that, you looked like, uh, Bertie Wooster. Uh, or I guess actually no, uh, Blech. Anyway, just Hugh Laurie in general. Yes. Playing a dunderhead. <laughs> it's always been my idol. I know. <laughs> Specifically as a dunderhead. House was fine. No, it wasn't. You never watched it. No, it's true. <laughs> At Selfridge House, Fraser announces Wizwaz's arrival to Ma. Ma says she's sorry she hasn't been in touch, but Wizwaz said she should apologize. She says she has a pauper until her jewels come and she'll move out of the hotel and find a bed sit in Bayswater. Dun, dun, dun. Ma tries to say something again, but Wizwaz interrupts to say that her grandmother had a recipe for soup. <laughs> Which is just ridiculous. It is. Ma finally gets the floor and says that Wizwaz is family now and there will be no bed sit in soup. She'll just have to move back into the house. Wizwaz thanks her and Ma says, though, that the reckless spending will have to stop. And Wizwaz unconvincingly agrees. Yeah. Like, she doesn't even try that hard no. to sell it. <laughs> Ma also wants her to talk to Sergey to help fix the marriage. And she agrees, as long as Ma talks to Rosalie. This is not going to go well. No. Nobody involved here has all of the facts. And they all suck. Well, I just think... I, I, I do like to think that this is aimed for a specific target demographic that wants to think that if kids are having trouble in their relationship, if only their mothers would talk to them, yeah. they could fix it right up. Their grandmothers. Yeah. Well, or mothers. It really well, appeals yeah, on both sides. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. It's just Wizwaz is old enough to be right. Rosalie's grandmother, I think. Yeah, so. I think you're right. In Harry's office, Harry's telling Mustache about the hate mail they've been getting and passing on to the police. Mustache asks if they're all from the same person, but Harry says they're all different and that he's worried the letter he wrote stirred things up even more. A letter I wrote, not nailing it? <laughs> Mustache says it might have stirred things up for Harry. He's heard about Loxley's charity and that he's rallying the old guard who want the world back how it was before the war. Take a shot, everybody! <laughs> Harry points out that Loxley was a profiteer, but Mustache says that he's tapping into tradition and familiar values. I mean, familiar values like government corruption. That's, yeah, it's a really good point. 
Uh, and also that he's trying to set Harry up as pro-woman and anti-serviceman. Harry says he's done more for this country than Loxley ever will, and he won't be put in a corner by Loxley or the newspapers. Harry just needs to calm down. I think he's an Aries. Mm, yeah. Or at least Piven is. <laughs> right. Um, no, but I mean, he's just so... He's so short-sighted. Yeah. He doesn't see how, you know, the legacy that he's building, it's not a minute-to-minute thing. Right. He's got to be willing to deal with the haters and not let them get to him. Yeah. Because that's exactly how they undermine him. But, I mean, that's the thing. He's just just a man of action. He always wants to do something to whatever problem is facing him. Fake Doris and New New Gordon walk into the kissing storeroom and they stand around waiting for some guy to leave and then they get to kiss him. <laughs> Fake Doris asks why people will think he's carrying around boxes of ribbon. New New Gordon says he's done a stint in every department. Fake Doris says that New New Gordon says he's not ready to be deputy, but he knows the store better than Harry. She says Harry's a lot to live up to, but New New Gordon is his own man with his own mustache and he's selling himself short. <laughs> that guy comes back in and they fail to look busy. Right. Which, again, kissing is still terrible. Uh-huh. It did remind me of us when we first started dating. Yeah. And we would kiss in the backstage area where not all the actors knew we were together. Yeah, that's true. That was fun. Uh, that was a good time. Secret <laughs> kissing, best kissing ever. <laughs> that's right. At Homely House, Harry walks in and aggressively kisses the Homely Architect. <laughs> yeah. Asks how long the architect's model will take. She says a couple of days. And he says he'll be calling a press conference and he needs her there. She says they don't have the funding or even a bank account. Harry says that they'll raise the money and he needs to show everyone that he's not anti-servicemen and these houses will prove that. You know, they'll prove that when you have the money. Right. Just to say... The homely architect says she's not one for the limelight, but Harry says he needs her, so she agrees. Harry kisses and hugs her, and she looks concerned, as well you might. Yeah. He has basically forced her into this sexual relationship. Yeah. And now is forcing her to move ahead at a pace on this project that the project itself can't support. Right. And to appear in public, which she does not want to do. Which is foreshadowing that we did not pick up on. Yeah. Harry, the homely architect, and Gerard walk into the room. Harry thanks Gerard for getting the model done. Gerard says he'll be in back. Uh, there's a vibe about him that makes me wonder if he's boning the homely architect yeah. or that they have in the past at some point. Yeah. He has may... a very ruffled feather sexual ownership vibe. Yes. So Nuna Gordon walks up and says that they're ready. Harry tells the homely architect that she'll be fine and walks to the front. He announces that they've all had a tough couple weeks, but he has some good news for the newspaper men. He says they all have their differences, but they can't be a country divided. He thanks the homely architect for her vision. She brought him this idea, and he gives them the Selfridge estate. He unveils the model, applause, flashbulbs, yada, yada, yada. Homely architect announces that 100 homes will be sold at cost to servicemen and their families. Crab says he's glad the store isn't paying. Mm-hmm. Harry says while the men were away, the women did their bit as well. And the homely architect says they're giving the families the homes they deserve. Gerard lurks in the background, really giving off this vibe now. Yeah. And everybody else claps. Like that, This was all I needed to see mm-hmm. to be like, oh, there's some weird fucked up sex thing in the past here. <laughs> Mustache shows up at the police station and Johnson is there. I like Johnson. Yeah. By the way, he seems like he's trying to do a good job. Yeah. There'd be an interesting, there's a whole interesting spinoff show there. Yeah. Policing after the end of World War One. Johnson says they've had a hard time deciding what to do with him since he committed a serious offense against the Defense of the Realm Act. Our old buddy, Defense <laughs> of the Realm Act. Yep. Mustache says he wouldn't have done it if he'd known how it would turn out. 
Gee, said no criminal ever before. <laughs> what a brilliant legal defense. Johnson says that a conviction would mean a fine or even a prison term at hard labor. Uh, and we see Mustache's reaction, which is, oh no, my soft hands. <laughs> but he did come forward and he wouldn't want to deprive Kitty of her husband's support. So they won't press charges. Mustache thanks him and leaves. But I think at least somebody should have clocked him one. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually annoyed that he is getting off scot-free on this because... Yeah. I mean, I'm no fan of the Defense of the Realm Act. Right. And it's not that I think he should be... He shouldn't be punished because it was his wife. Right. Any more than he should be not punished because it was his wife. But he did something dangerous. Well, what it makes me think is that I don't know to what extent plea bargaining was a thing in the legal system at this time. Because you get the sense that if Johnson could have been sure... Like, if Johnson could have said, you're just getting a fine, period you know and, yeah. and then that's it it was just the idea that he didn't know just depending on what yeah. judge he drew and how they were feeling that day that it might be this whole prison term. yeah but okay I, yes. that's also fair which maybe yeah i don't know i'm no hundred year old lawyer in britain more's the pity <laughs> new new gordon and harry walk into harry's office new new gordon announces that he was wrong he is ready for the deputy job Nunu Gordon describes his range of experience, but says it's only half of it. Harry needs somebody who understands Harry, which is actually a very good point. He asks if he remembers Halmad Rose, uh, who, as if we even needed to point out, (laughs) is hovering creepily in the background of the shot (laughs) via her painting. Uh, How mad she got when he quit school to work for Harry, and Harry says that she wasn't just mad at Nunu Gordon, or New Gordon. Well, anyway, it's hard to keep all of our Gordons straight. (laughs) Too many Gordons. Nunu Gordon says that he was right to quit school and now he can keep things going while Harry works on the estate and Rose would be proud to see him take his place by Harry's side. Harry looks at him for a bit and then says he can have the job, which uh, bummer for everybody else. Right. Also, isn't he, doesn't he at least have to like, isn't there an actual application form? No. He said it was going to apply alongside Not anymore. Oh, this is fair, Tom. (laughs) He says he's quick to judge sometimes and he's not always right. Nunu Gordon asks if he can have that in writing. Harry laughs, uh, but doesn't, Give that to him. No. Uh, but he also says it's not going to be easy, but not to say anything until he tells the others. He will break it gently to Mr. Grove somehow, who I guess was his default, quote unquote, fair person after Nunu Gordon right. turned him down. Says that Nunu Gordon will need his support, will need Mr. Grove's support. They shake hands and hug. Yeah. Because nepotism's never not worked out for anybody. <laughs> Did we miss the scene where we saw the pencil drawing of Beatrice again? I think we did because oh, it was yeah, the scene where Violette right. and Gordon were fighting. And yeah. she comes in and it's the devil painting <laughs> You're right. of Beatrice. And yeah. I actually screamed <laughs> she when did. they showed it. <laughs> it was a full on, ah! because it's so scary, guys. It is so scary. It's so scary. No, and it's only in focus for a second. It's fuzzy for the rest of the, yeah. this shot. But, but just long enough, uh, thus proving to me that eyeliner does in fact listen to this <laughs> podcast. Look, there's not much else critical uh, analysis going on of this show for reasons I don't understand. No, really. I don't understand why the show wasn't bigger. No, like why aren't people recapping this the way that they're recapping like Outlander? Right. Like Outlander is a crap show. Yeah, and it doesn't have Jeremy Piven. It doesn't have Jeremy Piven. It doesn't have anybody famous in it. It doesn't. I've never heard of any of these people. The most famous person they have is that, you know, Reginald Dwight or whatever from Battlestar Galactica. Oh. That's not his real name. That's actually (laughs) Elton John's name. (laughs) 
Okay. It was just, it's, it's like Ron D. Moore or something. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, other shows that we're watching right now, everybody, <laughs> include Outlander, Mad Men, Game of Thrones, Orphan Black, uh, Fresh Off the Boat, still. We already talked about that, didn't we? Possibly. Yeah. And, uh, Veep. Veep. Back yeah, on. Veep is back, Silicon Valley. Yeah. Which we kind of feel the same way about Outlander. Like, we kind of have to watch it, but yeah. we don't really like it. Yeah. And The Americans, which is having its finale yeah. this week. <gasps> I'm so excited. Yes. Anyway, we're watching a bunch of other stuff, y'all. <laughs> Just filling you in. Just letting you know. You should, too. <laughs> uh, oh, and also, if you aren't following me on Twitter, I'm at the Fatling, and I, generally speaking, will live tweet a lot of those things that I'm not emotionally invested in. Right. Uh, I no longer talk about the Americans very much, and <laughs> I don't really talk about uh, Orphan Black. Right. But everything else is fair game. Yeah. So if you want to hear a lot of thoughts about Outlander. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got him. It's the place. I hate everyone. <laughs> At Mustache House, Mustache is doing some writing. Connie comes in and Mustache says that she's late. Connie says there's always something to do at work. The phone rings and Mustache goes to get it as Kitty calls Connie into the room she's sitting in. Connie walks in apprehensively, but Kitty says she doesn't want them to go on like this. Connie says she doesn't either and wishes she could just tell Kitty how sorry she is. Kitty says she has, but Connie doesn't know how to put things right and she can't undo what she's done. And this is a great scene, by the way. Yes, it is. Probably the best scene in the episode. Yeah, agreed. Kitty says, none of us can, but we're made of strong stuff, us Hawkins girls. And I am tearing up right now. Yeah. Like, it's difficult to watch. Yeah. And she says that she needs Connie to help her be strong. Connie goes over and they hug. Mustache walks in and says that that was his publisher. They've heard what happened and they've canceled his book. They don't want the bad publicity, which means no other publisher will want him either. He says he just bought them a whiskey if he'd known it would end like this. Again, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, no, literally nobody can see the future, Mustache. <laughs> yeah. I hate to bum you out. Yeah. Uh, but Kitty says it's just a book. Mustache gets him angrily but realizes he can't actually say anything and walks off. Yeah. So points Kitty, sisters before stashes. Right. Agreed. I mean, you know, the one thing I'll say in Mustache's defense is that that call just, as far as I can tell, that call did just end his career. Yeah. Like, it's done. Yeah. How is he going to make any money in the future? I mean, I think he's still working for a newspaper. Or I guess he could. I don't know. Except he's been sitting home writing his book all the time. Oh, so is true. he? Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to say. Yeah. We might find out on the next episode. Well, possibly so. And yeah. And so what's great about this, too, is that, I mean, yeah, Kitty's mad at Connie initially, but just initially. Oh, and then yeah. she's like, you know what? You got, you know, it's the newspaper's fault. It's you not your bamboozled. fault. You got bamboozled. Yeah. Yeah. You got bantoozled? <laughs> <laughs> Tubled? <laughs> yeah. Isn't there somebody Tubal Cain in the Bible? I know what those words sound familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Tubal Tubal Cain, what's your pain? You're a crooked journal. I'm just going to keep doing this. That sounds good. Thanks. <laughs> at Selfridge House, the family all looks at the model. Ma says it's bigger than she was expecting. Nunu Gordon says, that's what she said about my mustache. <laughs> I have a girlfriend now. <laughs> He has a girlfriend now. He has a girlfriend now. He says, mustache, don't do no for me. I fucked that up too, but I well, don't care. that's fine. Any chance I have to resurface the catalog of Real Big Fish. <laughs> and the song that is probably the reason that my friend Emily's mom was convinced we were lesbians <laughs> when we spent all of our time together in high school. That that all makes sense. Um Sometimes best friends share a bed and just like the works of Real Big Fish. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
She didn't want me to sleep on the floor. <laughs> uh, Nunu Gordon actually says it's the Selfridge estate. It never would have been small. Harry says it's about all of them and what they stand for as a family, which is becoming increasingly difficult to figure out. Right. Uh, shouldn't Beatrice have something to say about this? <laughs> She's like, yes, as it was told in the prophecy, the estate Selfridge will burn in the flames of the light of the Lord of Darkness. Then we shall all be as one. <laughs> oh, come on, kids. Let's get the model in front of Beatrice's portrait so that we can commune with her spirit. Who's it got the like, pentagram? It was like the devil's Skype. <laughs> Harry says they have their differences, but when it counts, they look after each Somebody other. Somebody go say Beatrice's name into a mirror so she can join us. <laughs> Come back, Beatrice. We miss you. Uh, Harry says that they all look after each other when it counts, which I don't see any evidence of whatsoever. Like, Violette is, like, trying to burn the motherfucker down. Like, Violette is sidestepping out of the room as he makes this speech. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he says he has other news, and I thought he was going to tell them that he's boning the homely architect <laughs> yeah. because he's got really bad boundary issues. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think I found a replacement for your mother. I've taken a lover. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Pa, we told you at the last family meeting, we don't want to know. We have this conversation every six weeks. Uh, actually, he does effectively do this because he says, New New Gordon has this new job. Everyone congratulates him. Ma walks up to Harry and asks if this whole Selfridge Estates is the homely architect's idea. Uh, cause Ma can sniff it out when Harry's boning somebody, which is actually creepy. Well, um, yeah, except he's done it so much. Yeah, it's like- true. Harry says that she's very intelligent with a lot of spirit and a big heart. Ma gets the picture. Yeah, and says, she knows that Kelly. Hey, she knows that Harry is not a spirit addict. <laughs> <laughs> but that is a euphemism that would be used. <laughs> Ma gets the picture and says that there's something he's that she's been meaning to tell him. But then there's a commotion and the sound of Fraser blustering in the front hall, and they all go in to see Princess Wizwa supervising the moving in of all her stuff as Fraser harumphs. Yeah. Saria comes in and greets her and asks if she's moving in. She says, yes, thanks to your wonderful father-in-law. And I'm like, nobody in this family ever tells anybody anything. Yeah. This can't end poorly. Like, Ma, you could have found, I mean, literally, you had to wait until five seconds after the last second to tell Harry about this. What were you waiting on? Harry starts to say something, but Ma grabs his arm and says, there's a reason. And he said they look after each other. Harry welcomes her, and Rosalie says it will be lovely having her there, convincing no one. <laughs> Wizwaz says, what a kind girl, while looking pointedly at Sergei. Violette says she doesn't want to be rude, but she's supposed to be going out. Harry says not tonight, but Violette says they're old school friends, and they're going to the theater. And then Harry says, fine, don't stay out too late. Uh, I can't believe he doesn't see right through her scams. Right. He's doing a terrible job of parenting her yeah he's doing even a terrible job of being a terrible parent like she should at least have to work a little bit harder to get around him yeah it's like not tonight she's like but i wanna well okay <laughs> new new gordon gives her a look ma asks how much more stuff there is and the whiz says there's just a few essentials fraser reacts melodramatically and i kind of do wish their house would burn down <laughs> yeah and fraser gives like a big old like music hall like Aww. yeah Wizwaz says she'll be as quiet as a mouse. Rosalie then says she must see the Selfridge estate. Ma pulls Wizwaz aside and they agree that they will talk to Rosalie and Sergey and fix this marriage that should probably just be annulled. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, again, I'm like, I don't understand how Sergey's not at least having sex with Rosalie. Right. Like they've not been together very long, and what are what's even the issue? Like, at this I'm point? not clear that she didn't give it up before she got married, but she would have been like a real pain about it. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh yeah. Which yeah. is totally her right. Oh yeah. I'm not here to tell people who are like safeguarding their virginities that they don't have a vested, you know, capitalist reason for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. But like, you know presumably sex should still be enough of a novelty to the two of them. Yeah. Because even if they didn't, like it was a short engagement. Right. So even if they have been having sex the whole time, it wasn't for very long. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's just weird. Well, luckily we cut to Kaliano's and we realize that haircuts, badassery extends to her haircut because she's been wearing wigs the whole time, Mm y'all. And maybe we would have noticed that when she woke up with Fat Thomas that time. Maybe. But we definitely see now she's got this gorgeous, like not quite platinum blonde wig, but it's a really dope wig. Yeah, it is. Uh, And an expensive wig. Like that's Mm. a nice wig. Yeah, yeah. So she walks through announcing that the bar is closing. Violette walks in. Yeah, so they seem to have got the last call thing down a little bit yeah. better this time. Uh, Violette walks in and she's not wearing gloves. Which is like slutty. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, I didn't know why you put that in there. No, I put that, yeah. Cause, well, because I remembered uh, actually the actress who plays Edith talking about it. Uh, how when she took her gloves off with Michael Gregson ah. and that that was always the point of gloves was that as a woman you were never actually touching anyone ew yeah gross it is Fat Thomas says that she's late Violette says let's go to your office they do haircut watches them jazz <laughs> Yeah, we get a good, like, 10-second jazz montage here of all the musicians. In Fat Thomas's office, Violette and Fat Thomas make out. Violette says she wants to have fun. And I'm like, can you get a different euphemism, please? Like, this one's worn out. It's welcome. <laughs> Fat Thomas asks if she's sure she doesn't want to wait. Because uh, he's, like, a responsible dude. He's like, uh, listen, you stand to, like, earn a lot more with your vagina than I will ever <laughs> see in my entire life. Are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. And uh, she says she wants him. More jazz. <laughs> George asks Haircut if she'd like to dance. She says, why not? Uh, Maybe because no one else is here to run this club. <laughs> right. Well, I guess the bar is closed yeah, now. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, they start dancing. Fat Thomas' shirt is off and he looks fine. <laughs> yeah. I am... Well, and you know, we have seen... I was thinking that he only looked this hot to me because we'd never seen him in a sexual context. But we did see him in a sexual context yeah. with Lady May and her hair bra. Right, yeah. So he has definitely tightened it up. He has. In the intervening years. So, so. well done, guy who is neither uh, Rob James Collier <laughs> or Christian Bale. Or Rob Collier James, for that matter. Did I get it wrong No, again? I think you were right. I just like yeah, saying that. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Uh, so his shirt's off. He's pulling Violette's dress up. They pause and look at each other. Violette's nervous for a second, but then they start going at it again. Yeah. George and Haircut are still dancing when the police bust in and tell everybody to line up against the wall. They head to the office as George tells them they can't. Uh, they're the police, George. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> right. The police pull a shirtless Fat Thomas out of his office along with a disheveled Violette. Mm-hmm. I hope they at least got to do it. I don't think they did. Uh, maybe for the best. Yeah. Not a great thing to have to recollect for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's true. Fat Thomas is yelling at all the cops and then he sees Perkis and tells him they've done nothing wrong. But Perkis pulls a random woman up to the bar and starts pouring her a drink. Fat Thomas yells at her not to drink it, but Perkis gets in her face and makes her. Perkis announced that they've been serving after hours with police witnesses. George says he can't do that. Again, uh, this is the police. This is the Defense of the Realm Act in action. They can do whatever they want. Yeah, they just did. And Violette tells him to leave Fat Thomas alone or he'll regret it. I've been more or less like 
I'm like, okay, Violette, you're acting out, whatever. But come right, on, right. dude. Yeah. Like, this is really lame. Yeah. Perkins asks Violette if her father knows she's there and tells the police to arrest her and everybody else there. Yeah. So this is going to be an interesting conversation. It really is. On a lot of different levels. Yeah. The homely architect stares at a rain street window and there's a knock on the door and the homely architect and we are surprised to see Ger- Gerard. Gerard, yeah. Suddenly, for some reason, I can't pronounce <laughs> that either. Uh, yeah. Hard. <laughs> she says it's late and he shouldn't be there, but he comes in anyway. He pours himself a drink and says he came to see, he came to say that she was good. She looked like she was enjoying herself. He asks if she's sleeping with Mr. Selfridge. So we're now quickly establishing that they have had some kind of intimate relationship. She mm. says, so what if she is? He says it wasn't part of the plan. Uh, what? what? <laughs> Where's that shame baby? We need to come into a record scratch. <laughs> She says that she knows what she's doing. Gerard asks if she does. She says to trust her. The estate money is as good as theirs. Gerard finishes his drink and the homely architect gazes away thoughtfully and holy oh. fuck balls, y'all. Oh, whoa. We did not see this telegraphed at all. At all. The homely architect has fooled us all. Yeah. And, and it puts our displeasure with last week's episode in a completely different context. Yeah. We have to like retroactively, you know, improve our assessment of it a mm-hmm. little bit. I mean, you know, it was still felt weird and rushed, but there was a method that we did not see at yeah, all. Yeah, it was yeah. So uh homely architect, not just homely, crafty as well. Yeah. So got a lot going for her. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I'd tap it at this point. <laughs> now that I know how devious she is, I'm like, I think you know some weird sex tricks. <laughs> Yeah. You know, she's been keeping that, you know, Leninist going all this time, apparently. <laughs> That's right. No, I wonder exactly how and when this plan was formed, you know, mm-hmm. like, ever since she bust into Harry's office, like, it's interesting to think about, but. Well, I assume we'll find out, you right. know, whether that, you know, whether the plan predated her actually getting Mr. Selfridge on the line or if that was part of it the entire time. Right. Or if it was just, they were just generally trying to run the scam with whatever developer they could come across mm-hmm. and it wound up being Harry maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So points eyeliner. Yeah. Major points eyeliner. Yeah. Like well done. You, uh, you got us all riled up for nothing. Yeah. No. And I mean this, this episode and I mean these last two scenes too, just were really like awesome. So yeah. like, you know, this whole thing at Caliano's and with Violette getting involved and like mm-hmm. how that's going to shake things up. No, I mean, that's really going to fuck a lot of shit up for a lot of people. Yeah. Like her being there. Yeah. It's not good. Well, and it's like what's going to happen to Caliano's now? Right. No, I mean, that's like that's like the scaled down, you know, Red Wedding or something like that. Like It, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just completely changes a bunch of different threads. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see. Yeah. Now that we're caught up. <laughs> right. PBS. Yeah. No, and I'm excited now people can, like, if anybody wants to discuss, we're all on the same page. Yeah, no. So we apologize for the delay. Like, yeah. This has been annoying to us as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that brings us now to the Selfridge Awards, a.k.a. the Selfies. That's we right. start out with the Nailing It Award. And that one, we're going to go ahead and give it to Perkis. Yeah, Perkis is getting everything he wants. He's keeping Fat Thomas under his thumb. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this show being what it is, it's unclear how long that will be right i mean he is a villain so we have yeah. to imagine he'll get some kind of comeuppance but but fat thomas hasn't been super heroic yeah like, that's true i don't know it's hard to say it is this is also a show this is a show that doesn't do very deft work around moral ambiguity no it doesn't so I mean, it's, it's yeah. hard to say yeah uh 
Next up, we have the Stick Poke Award. Uh, clearly, this is yeah. going to Gerard and the Homely Architect on this reveal that yeah, Selvage Estates is a bigger scam even than the one that Sergei wanted to pull. Oh, right. Like, regardless of anything else, like, yes, he was trying to scam Harry, but like for like a legitimate, like... Yeah, he believed he, in his own project. Had he gotten the money from Harry, it would have gone toward making that into an aerodrome and, and making an aeroplane. Right. Like... He is not smart enough <laughs> to be anything more than a very low-level con man. Yeah, but we just did not see these cahoots no. on the horizon. Which brings us to Window Worthy. And that one, again, another weak episode for the Window Worthy Award. Uh, I, so we guess we're going to give it to the Selfridge Estates model. I feel like there was something else that happened. Well, you know, there was those umbrellas that I liked. That was what I was thinking, actually. Yeah, you know what? We'll give it to those umbrellas. Yeah, that that two seconds of movie magic that came out of nowhere. (laughs) Way to go, umbrellas. (laughs) And then finally, we will award the eyeliner scale of eyeliner. Uh, we're gonna go with pencil. We are. The, uh, the reveal about the homely architect saved it, I think, from being crayon again. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, and really, the whole Ma Wizwaz plot line made yeah. sure it could never get above pencil I either. I just, like, I really it's just wish not... that would go somewhere. Yeah. Because I think they're, you know, okay, because that's the thing is like, even if you find out that they are just scamming Harry, what do you do with that? They're legally married now. Right, right. So, but how do you cope with people inside the family unit who are not trustworthy? Yeah. The debts are coming from inside the house. <laughs> All right, so that is our recap of Mr. Selfridge, Series 3, Episode 5. And, uh, yeah, till next time, tighten your belts! (laughs) 